Hello, you're watching the Le Nobel Spree video series on the theology of the body. This video is dedicated to audience 64. We are your hosts. I am Jeremy Haasauter. And I'm Guillermo Moreno. So audience 64 begins the third and last chapter of part one of the theology of the body. And this begins our next set of... Um, analyses that will take us up through audience 85. So not quite as long as the previous two chapters. Actually, no, it's about the same as um, chapter one, but not, certainly not as long as chapter two. And so let's go ahead and begin. And just to keep in mind, this um, audience is an introduction. So it is actually rather short in terms of um, content since JV2s is doing some introductory legwork here. Now, we do want to begin by noting that the audience begins with after a rather long pause. So audience 63 was um, released on May 6th. And one week, one week later on May 13th, Mehmet Ali Akka attempted to assassinate JP2. And so JP2 shot four times and survived, of course. Um, it, it, what, one of the most remarkable things about this um, situation is, of course, when JP2 in 1983, visits Akka in the Rabibia prison and forgave him. And when this happened, it just caught the attention of the entire world at the time and actually led to a lot of people to forgive each other for our wrongs they have done. It was a, it kind of led to a global kind of, um, forgiveness movement at the time. And after this um, visit, Akka and JP2 will go on to develop actually a lifelong friendship. And in June, in the year 2000 in June, um, Akka is pardoned by the Italian president at the request of JP2. And one more detail we should include in this story is, of course, Our Lady of Fatima. And it so happens that May 13th is the anniversary of the first Fatima apparition. And JP2, for the rest of his life, will credit to Our Lady of Fatima for saving his life. The bullet was just a, maybe an inch from hitting JP2's organs that would have been fatal. And he always saw it as Mary's hand kind of deflecting the bullet from killing him. So that's something about JP2's spirituality to keep in mind with this incident. If you are interested you can find some more information about this if you check out george weigel's witness to hope 
It's a monumental biography on JP2. Highly recommend it. If you really want to dedicate a lot of time reading about it. Weigold has a phenomenal writing style and really has done a masterful study of JP2's life. All right, diving now into the audience. So some introductory remarks. Again, audience 64 begins chapter three, and it's broken up into a couple of sections. The first is dealing with um, analyzing the textual evidence and the synoptic gospels concerning the resurrection of the body. Now, the synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John, the who the gospel of John is the one gospel we don't say is a, a synoptic gospel. And that's just because the style of writing is totally different, where the the other three gospels are more of a um you're kind of getting a report of what's happening that's there's kind of there's a strong historical element whereas you get a very different language with john and so biblical scholars like to contrast it by calling matthew mark and luke the synoptic gospels now Christ will appeal to the resurrection, and this appeal is critical for understanding the Christian meaning of marriage and continence for the kingdom of heaven. We are going to be looking at Matthew 19. Now, something to keep in mind is, of course, the Old Testament casuistic tradition that led the Pharisees to question the indissolubility of marriage will also lead the Sadducees to question Jesus about Levirate marriages. Now, a Levirate marriage has its origins in Deuteronomy 25, verses 7 through 10. And what happens is if a man dies without leaving children, to continue his bloodline, then that man's brother has the duty to take the dead man's wife as his own. And the children born from this marriage are recognized as the dead man's descendants. And this is to preserve genealogies and bloodlines. And so the Sadducees are going to question Jesus based off of this practice from the Old Testament. So the argument the Sadducees want to put forward against the resurrection is the following. If there is a resurrection, then in the situation of a Levart marriage, the same woman would have two husbands in the afterlife. However, polyandry is contrary to God's law, and so there is no resurrection of the body. And just to be clear, polyandry is defined by the Oxford Dictionary as, quote, polygamy in which a woman has more than one husband, end quote. And this really seems to be kind of an open-shut argument. For a call, Jesus has already 
put to shame essentially the Pharisees, and now you get the Sadducees. They're coming up with their sort of riddle to try and stump Jesus to try and kind of show that see this man is a fraud doesn't really know what he's talking about they're trying to trap him and of course Jesus is going to evade that so Christ replies to the Sadducees and here we're looking at um, the text from Mark 12 so Jesus says quote is not this reason you're is not this the reason you are wrong that you know neither the scriptures nor the power of god for when they rise from the dead they take neither wife or nor husband but are like the angels in heaven end quote so this marks part of christ's reply we can see that it is twofold first he's accusing the sadducees of being ignorant of scripture and ignorant of the power of god and then he gives this remark that's totally beyond what I think anybody would be expecting that Jesus is going to apply by explicitly stating that when you rise from the dead, you will not take a husband or wife because you're going to be like the angels. And so now we get the next part of Jesus' reply, quote, and for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses in the story about the bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living and quote. And this here is a reference actually to Exodus chapter three, that when, um, Moses is alone in the wilderness and he sees the burning bush and has this theophany, this where God is manifesting himself through the burning bush and talking to Moses and set, reveals his divine name. I am who am. And God identifies himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. That is the God of the living. And of course, at the end of all this, Jesus simply tells the Sadducees, quote, you are quite wrong, end quote. The Sadducees in their argument have made a categorical error through their ignorance of both the power of God and of Scripture. And we will see how JP2 is going to develop this analysis of Christ's rebuke of the Sadducees and the upcoming audiences. Now, what I want to do is talk about the different Jewish groups during the time of Jesus. So we've mentioned the Pharisees before. They had a they emphasized ritual purity to separate the Jews from the Gentiles especially the Roman occupiers during this time, um, the Romans had, were the occupying force in the Middle East and the area of Palestine. They were the legal and military powers. And so 
while the Jews were able to practice their religion, when it came to political power, they were at the mercy of the Romans. And so the Pharisees wanted to distance themselves from the Gentiles, from the Romans, and this led to them establishing many of their own traditions with this emphasis on purity to emphasize the distinction between Gentiles and Jews. And the Pharisees were popular with the masses. Now, the Sadducees, on the other hand, they, I guess we should note first with the Pharisees that they did hold a view on the resurrection. They did believe in the resurrection of the body. Now, the Pharisees, I mean, the Sadducees, on the other hand, they held a literal interpretation of scripture, but they only accepted the first five books of the Bible. That is, they accepted Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That is it. And they believed that the soul died with the body, and so they rejected the afterlife. And the Sadducees as a group was organized, or they were eliminated as a group in 70 AD. They were associated with the aristocracy and the priestly class, and so they worked to maintain relationships between Israel and the Romans, since as aristocrats, they can preserve their power much easier by being subservient to the Roman authorities. Now, another... Um, another Jewish group at the time were the Zealots. One of Jesus' 12 apostles was actually a Zealot. Um, let's see. Do you remember who the Zealot was, Guillermo? Simon. Simon. Thank you. Simon the Zealot. Now, the Zealots were a Jewish nationalist revolution revolutionary group who wanted to, of course, overthrow the Roman occupation. And this will culminate in the Jewish war in 66 AD. And the war ended in 70 AD with the Roman victory over the Jews. They destroyed Jerusalem and raised the temple. And Another group are the Essenes. They lived along the Dead Sea, and they're famous because of the Dead Sea Scrolls at Qumran, which was their library. They lived a strict aesthetic life. They established many monastic communities and were also wiped out in 70 AD. And lastly, we have the Diaspora Jews, and this is a collective name for Jews who lived outside of Palestine. What happened was, beginning with the Assyrian conquest of Israel in the 8th century BC, and then later the Babylonian conquest in 586 BC, you have large populations of Israelites and Jews being moved about the world first to Assyria, Babylon, and of course, due to Babylon, you get some that move to Egypt, and they spread elsewhere, and the Jews would eventually make their way to Greece and Rome itself. Now, 
the diaspora Jews in general were affluent merchants and businessmen, and so at times they were targets of Gentile resentment. And after 70 AD, the diaspora Jews had the responsibility of continuing the Jewish religion. So this war between 66 AD and 70 AD was destructive for the Jews and the Jewish religion. The Jewish identity mainly revolved around the temple in Jerusalem. The temple was the nexus, that which connected heaven and earth together. It was all connected. And so the temple was the center of Jewish national identity and cultural life. And so when that was destroyed, the bedrock of the Jewish religion and culture was now eradicated. And that led to a existential crisis where the Jews had to reforge their identity as Jews without this, without the temple. And so the Jewish war, as I said, it is catastrophic. According to Josephus, who was a contemporary at the time and witnessed some of these horrific events, he was a Jewish historian. He claimed that over 1 million Jews died due to this war. Again, Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed. The entire city was put to flames. The Roman general Titus built a trench and wall around the entire city, with this wall being as tall as the city walls. And the order was that any person who is not a Roman soldier and caught outside the city walls was to be crucified. The purpose of this was to, um, for in Titus' mind, was to get the Jews to stop the siege because they were holed up in this in the city for several months on end, and they of course were low on food. They suffered all sorts of problems associated with siege, including disease and famine dehydration, and not to mention, of course, also the Roman attacks. And just to kind of give an idea of how brutal this war is, I did find a nice quote from Josephus in his book, The War of the Jews, from chapter 5. Or is it book 5? I forget. Um, Guillermo, would you like to read this nice quote for us? Yes. Quote. After they had fought, they thought it too late to make any supplications for mercy, so they were first whipped and then tormented with all sorts of tortures before they died and were then crucified before the wall of the city. This miserable procedure made Titus greatly to pity them. While they caught every day 500 Jews, nay, some days they caught more. Yet did it not appear to be safe for him to let those that were taken by force go their way and to set a guard over so many? He saw would be to make such actually he saw would be to make such as guarded them useless to him. 
The main reason why he did not forbid that cruelty was this, that he hoped that the Jews might yield at that site. Excuse me, that he hoped the Jews might yield at that site out of fear lest they might themselves afterwards be liable to the same cruel treatment. So the soldiers, out of wrath and hatred, they bore the Jews, nailed those they caught, one after one way, and another after another, to the crosses by way of jest, when their multitude was so great that room was wanting for crosses and crosses wanting for bodies, end quote. So you can just imagine now, you have the Romans with their giant wall surrounding the city and at a rate of 500 Jews a day being crucified, that city is surrounded by bodies rotting on crosses and bleeding bodies. And of course you're going to get the birds, you know, eating, ripping guts. You get the dogs, of course, trying to eat the scraps falling. It's a terrible sight. And of course, that many dead bodies, it's going to stink horribly. It's a nauseating experience. It's nauseating to think about. It is a terrible, destructive war that the Jews suffered. And this is why many of the different Jewish groups are literally wiped out. The Essenes, the Zealots, the Sadducees, they are wiped out from this war because of how destructive it is. And just want to emphasize that because we it's hard to visualize, to comprehend one crucifixion, and now you have this war where there's 500 a day for months on end being crucified. That's just horrible to think about. Um, Guillermo, do you have anything you'd like to add before we end our episode? Um, yes, it's a very important piece of history, I think, because changing the subject a little bit, I think when we think of, uh, I don't know. It just seems like, oh, history began, you know, oh, did it begin when Luther rebelled? Did it begin when Christopher Columbus discovered America? No, there's so much, so much happened that led up to um, those events and obviously to where we are today. And here is, okay, yeah, Jesus resurrected. He ascended into heaven. The apostles spread out. And then what? Well, some of the people in Jerusalem stayed behind. This is what happened. And we don't know. We don't know. It's just portions of history that I think we take for granted. That's all. All right. Yeah. Thank you for that. That is a important kind of historical point to keep in mind. Just nothing just happens out of the blue. There's a historical mm-hmm. development continuity. First. All right. With that, did you have anything, any last um, comments? Nope. All right. So with that, thank you for watching our video. If you have been enjoying our content, please like, subscribe, and comment on our social media, such as Facebook and YouTube. Also, please consider making a financial donation to our group, um, either through PayPal or Patreon. You can or your support goes t- 
towards the maintenance of our website and the purchase of materials so that we can continue providing you with great materials such as this podcast and our many articles on our website. On our website, we have many articles on theology, some on philosophy, culture. They are, of course, all free for you to read and enjoy. We also have a podcast, and Guillermo, can you give us some more information about that, please? Yes, in our other podcast series, we talk about a variety of topics, such as trends in culture and politics, and we address those topics from a Catholic personalist perspective. You can listen to our podcast episodes on the Lenovella Spree website. It's going to be in the podcast page under media, or you can also use our podcast page to locate us on buzzsprout.com, which you can listen to us there or use Buzzsprout to locate us in other popular podcasting platforms such as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. If you are wondering just where do I find all of our social media, you can just simply go to latenovellespreet.com slash subscribe. There you can join our mailing list, find our Facebook, YouTube, Patreon, PayPal, and the various um, platforms our podcast is distributed. Um, do you have anything else, Guillermo? I would just like to ask our viewers and our listeners to keep us and our mission in your prayers. Yes. Um, please keep us in your prayers. We are in gratitude for them. And with that, we will see you next time. Bye, everyone. God bless.